Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. We are going to jump into part two of my interview with Dr. Jamel Lowry. And at the beginning of this interview, he brings us right into his decision to go from the blood side of the drape to the brain side of the drape. And throughout this interview, listen up for the six tips that Dr. Lowry provides for success as you start your residency journey. Please enjoy. As a surgery resident, you know, you see what, and it's, you know, you see what they're doing. And then you know, I was in a, a residency um, where there were a lot of cool anesthesia residents. So like, honestly, I would hang out with them from time to time. So I had an idea from the other side of the drape, uh, as the metaphor goes, uh, about what they did. And I, I would have conversations with them. And like, you know, I, I, there were what they continue to uh, expressed was like how much anatomy is involved, how much physiology, how much thinking. And so like, those are all things that like intrigued me. And also like, there was a great work-life balance. It was easy to separate the two. So, so my question to you is if yes, you ma'am. put yourself back in, like put your ENT hat on when you were in the OR on the other side of the drape, when you mm-hmm. say that you see us, like you saw what anesthesiologists do, did you really see us though? Like, I mean, it's like when we as anesthesiologists look on that side of the drape, you know, we are looking at what's going on in the field. We're listening to suction. We hear, you know, the stuff that's going on. We, you know, we, we do want to know what stage you're at in the case to prepare for our anesthetic. But, you know, the reverse isn't true. I mean, it's like, you know, often the surgeon sort of keeps themselves in a, in a vacuum, if you will, and, you know, all of a sudden they're done. And you're just like, what the mm-hmm. hell? Like, we ain't get no warning, no, no 10 minutes, no mm-hmm. nothing. Like, you just drop the scalpel and you walk away. <laughs> like, what is happening? Uh-huh. So when you say that, I mean, did you really appreciate what anesthesiologists did when you were on the procedure side of the drape, the blood side of the drape? Or? Uh, I, I definitely understand your perspective. But so ENT and, and anesthesiology, share the airway, right? So there was a definitely definite crosstalk between the disciplines. And so I guess from a general surgeon's perspective or from an orthopedic surgeon's perspective, I can definitely get what you're saying. But like there was lots of communications going on as you are doing traits, you know, like, hey, you're anesthesia, right. like what's the FIO2 or um, or is you doing like complex cancer cases and things like that or airway tumor resections and stuff. So there was a lot of communication that we did have with them compared to like other specialties. True, true, true. So then tell us what the outcome was. You you secured a position outside of the match in anesthesia. Is that right? Okay. 
And you then entered in as a CA1 since you already did your interview here? Okay. Mm -hmm. And how was that experience? Because when you started off as an ENT, your inner talk was, you know what, this doesn't quite feel right. Did you get some sense of satisfaction that CA one year? Actually, I did. Um, because of my unique path, I wasn't entering as a true CA 13 months out of medical school. Um, I had had a lot of experience. And so there, and that UTMB is a great residency to plug for that. So if you're thinking about where to apply, I highly suggest applying to UTMB in Galveston. Um, they give you a fair amount of autonomy provided that you are a capable resident. Um, so my time there, like I was, you know, instantly embraced. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. Um, co-residents were fun. And I'm not saying my co-residents and ENT weren't fun. Actually, my best friend came from my ENT days. But it was just like a different experience. Um, and I I don't know, I felt more comfortable behind the drapes or in front of the clinical perspective, but I felt more comfortable on the anesthesia side of the drapes than the surgical side of the drapes. Mm. So I knew. You know, you also mentioned that you you did carry a unique perspective, having that, you know, those years spent in ENT. Can you also maybe share how that had colored your um, CA1 experience? differently than, than, you know, your colleagues, for and others. Um, well, I guess at that point, you know, I was a, a seasoned resident. So I knew some of the pitfalls, which are fairly universal to avoid, you know, like, don't become too cavalier, like, don't think you can handle everything over communicate to your attendings. Um, so those are things I learned along the way in ENT that like, I've already had solidified by the time I was a resident. So like, even though I was a brand new resident in terms of like anesthesia, but like, experientially I wasn't, you know, and those are some, those are some excellent tips over communicating, not being cavalier. Um, can you think of some others? Um, some things that are very, very important, especially for new residents, your first six months or so, that will dictate the rest of your residency experience. So when you get there in July, all the attendings know you're brand new. Um, they expect mistakes, but there's certain things they don't want to see, right? Like dishonesty is a huge red flag or not being detail oriented. Like you may not necessarily know all the details, but like they can kind of get a sense about this person is, is trying. So Essentially, like you want to put your best foot forward throughout the entire residency, but like those first six months are very, very critical because everyone has their eyes on you to see what type of residence you, what type of resident you will be. And like, you know, people change, people grow. So the mistakes you made and, you know, like the first four or five months, like maybe you've learned from it and then you go on to be a stellar resident the remaining time of your residency. However, it's difficult to change that initial first impression sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. So like, again, I was extra vigilant up front because, you know, I was a new kid on block, did ENT. I knew I was being watched. Um, so I wanted to make, and at that point I was married and, you know, had a kid. So like the last thing I wanted to do was take my residency worries home. I kind of wanted to be able to separate those pretty easily. So mm-hmm. worked out all right. Yeah. And then you talk about being comfortable, more comfortable on the anesthesia side of the drape. What instance that you can walk us through that that makes that true for you? A feeling of going to work. So going to work in ENT, I kind of dreaded it, you know, uh, and not in the traditional way that people dread going to work. Uh, 
it wasn't like fighting traffic or finding a parking spot. It was more like the day-to-day things I had to do. I wasn't, didn't look forward to it as I, my other co-residents did. And so like, that was one thing I thought that was abnormal. But then um, when I was an anesthesia residence resident, like after that first month of like figuring out, like, you know, there's a graduated process in terms of like how they leave you alone in the OR first kind of like a buddy system. And then like they, you know, they leave you for 30 minutes and then an hour and then for an entire case. Right. And so like during that time of like when they're leaving you, you're not, you're like, there's so many things to pay attention to that now, you know, we've been out for a few years. We don't even like, how much fluids in the bag? Whereas the SIBO, just leave it on eight during induction and you forgot to change it. Like there's so many small little details that you have to pay attention to that like after a while becomes second nature. And so they're like, once I got over that discomfort of like kind of understanding like the terrain, uh, the anesthesia terrain, lay of the land, then I began to think about like, wow, coming to work is actually cool. I can actually enjoy talking to my colleagues. I can crack jokes with some of the attendings. Now, a lot of that was the atmosphere that UTB created, but Again, that was I guess that was probably the simplest explanation. Like I didn't dread going to work. Hmm. Oh, that's good. You not only chose to complete an anesthesiology residency, but you decided <laughs> to pursue a fellowship. What point did you say I want to focus on kids? When I entered into medical school, I wanted to be a initially I wanted to be a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. Um. Yeah. Exactly. You know. I'm pretty chill, man. Like that didn't really fit my personality. I, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed my summer. I did, uh, between first and second year, I did research with a cardiothoracic surgeon and it was actually cool. Cool as hell. Really. Like I got to fly on like a Oregon harvest in the middle of the night. He kind of called me. He's like, Hey, Jamel, uh, we're about to go ar- or harvest in Oregon. Do you want to come? We're flying from Dallas to El Paso. I was like, yeah, let's go. Wow. Boom, plane, flew back. It was like four o'clock in the morning. He's like, hey, you know, we're about to do a transplant. Do you want to see this? I was like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Um, I've, I've always wanted to work with children. And so that was part of the draw for okay. ENT was because, you know, you do a significant amount of um, surgeries on, you know, tubes and tonsils. That's what, yeah. what, what a lot of they're known for. You don't necessarily have to do a fellowship to do those. And so I was like, hey, this is great. So um, I was, you know, going through residency. And you're, I actually began to think about doing cardiothoracic, cardiac anesthesiology. But how the residency track was, I ended up doing peds in, in July and then cardiac anesthesia in August. And when I got there in July, I was like, wow, I really enjoy this rotation. At the end of the day, I was like, what do I mind the least waking up for in the middle of the night? Taking care of an adult or taking care of a kid? Mm-hmm. And honestly, working with children. Yeah. Yeah. It does look like you asking that question of what kinds of problems do I want to solve really is what led you down the anesthesiology route. Because it was clear mm-hmm. that at least the ENT problems, you dreaded um, you know, approaching that. With anesthesiology, I mean, you had that glowing sort of impression of it early. And then mm-hmm. even now you're like, oh, well, learning about this is actually, fun. It, it's producing a satisfaction you didn't get from the other field. So now um, you, PEDS comes back into forefront, you enjoy it, and then you do an extra year. Mm-hmm. Huh. And did you always know that you wanted to stay academic? No, it just worked out that way. Um, so 
finishing my fellowship, I so how pediatric anesthesia is organized. If you want to do exclusively peds, there are very few standalone pediatric hospitals that are kind of private practice. The vast majority of the pediatric hospitals are uh, attached to an academic institution. So I know if I went to 100% peds, I had to be comfortable working in academic practice. Um, I did. Um, investigate and, you know, speak with a couple of practices uh, in the area, uh, private practices in the area where I could maybe do like 20 or 30% peds. But in fellowship, I was always thinking my goal was to do 100% peds unless an amazing private practice job came along. I enjoy adults, but I enjoy doing peds better. And I just never found that amazing private practice job. It's very clear throughout your journey. I mean, you're married, you're having kids, yeah, yeah. Now you have this puppy. You said, you know, you try to keep your work and the rest of your life separate. But I mean, we know that your work is a part of your life, right? And it's very mm-hmm. clear that you didn't put the rest of your life on hold as you were doing training. How were you able to do that? I mean, did you get married before residency and then had the babies during residency or? Um, so I met my wife in medical school. So um, actually, we technically met our senior year, the end of our senior year, as we were doing like a second look um, to the medical schools that we were accepted to. So I settled down very, very early, um, waited a little bit to get married. Uh, but um, we knew that we had, we wanted several kids, three, maybe even four. And so while I'm extending my residency, that's also, you know, it's not the greatest thing for women to be having kids later in life, as we all know. And so I kind of had to just make the choice, like, you know what? Um, a lot of people have children in residency. Some people even have kids in medical school. Um, it can be done. I'm sure it's difficult. Uh, but that's why I was really looking to come back home to Houston where we had support structure. My wife and I were both from the area. So my mom, her mom, she's got sisters here who can help out. So it was kind of instrumental for us to come back home to help offset, you know, the load as, as a busy obstetrician as an NC resident. So I didn't necessarily want to delay life because like, I know a lot, a lot of like the hardships we experience are temporary and, you know, kids are forever. Right. So um, I made the decision to kind of go forward and like, honestly, man, like a lot of faith in God. I was like, I don't see how this is going to work out. There are a lot of roadblocks that I can imagine. I can envision going forward, but I'm going to leave it in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. And having the family there, um, it helps provide some structure and um, you got paternity leave. You got to spend for about time. seventeen to eighteen minutes because <laughs> yeah. I was in residency. Now they let me off for a week. I think for a week, um, and it didn't and it didn't go against my vacation. So they were actually pretty cool about it. Do you have any mm-hmm. advice regarding uh, any tips for just navigating this journey with being married and having kids? Um, it, it's difficult, um, because again, time management is key. Management is key. I still had to study. I still have to prepare for cases. I had to call attendings the night before, um, I had to be present. There are only 24 hours in the day. So like when your colleagues, your co-residents, they're going to happy hour. I'm like, you know what? I'm going home to pick up my kids. And it was actually like very, very difficult because my wife, we kind of like, it was like a 45 minute drive for me to work and 45 minute drive for her to work. And so when she was on call, um, I'd have to wake up, get two, like an infant ready and a toddler ready, drop them off at daycare, which opened up at like 6.15 or so, six, maybe 6.15 or 6.30, drive, 
down the road, have the case set up by 7.30 to go. Um, so there were times, and then that was like every third night. So it was very, very difficult to to do, but hey, I was 30, so I had like a lot more energy. Um, and kind of like I didn't have a choice. Like I didn't have any other choice but to make this work, right? Like what were my alternatives, you know? So when you kind of like approach it like that, it wasn't bad. And I, honestly, I would do it all over again, a billion times over. And then too, your wife is a physician. So that introduces, um, I, I, I don't know, what, maybe it, you know, does it introduce more challenge? Does it introduce less challenge? You know, I don't know. I've, I've been married to her. Uh, you know, I've been, we've been together essentially my entire adult life. So like she's been my only experience. But what I can say is that like we have an understanding that like you say, like, you know, you see a, a colleague of yours and like just a look of your eyes, a tilt to your head, like you already like they've communicated, they conveyed so much. So like, I understand my wife's struggles. She understands my struggles. And so then, you know, like when she needs to break off and like review labs or, you know, prepare for the next day, finish up clinic notes, whatever the case may be, I'm completely understanding. And I think sometimes people who aren't in the medical field, they may, they may feel neglected for various reasons. But I'm like, no, I, you know, this is a part of the gig. This is what we signed up for. So in that regards, I do feel like it's very, very easy, but it's also very, very difficult as well. Like, so when the children are sick, we kind of have to like alternate days in terms of like who takes off of work, especially with COVID. Like I had like my my mom was helping out pre-COVID, but then like during COVID, you know, she's elderly. So like the kids were sick. She was very, very cautious about being exposed to them. And so, you know, again, it goes back to communications. I told my job like, hey, this is the case. You know, these are my family dynamics. So my wife and I, we'd have to alternate from time to time when, you know, when your your children are sick. So it presents a lot of challenges, but like I say, overall, I'm actually glad that she's in the field because like, while it like marriage in general is challenging, but the fact that my wife and I are in like of medicine, there's a lot of understanding. I'm thrilled to, to hear that um, throughout all the struggles and journeys and obstacles, having a solid piece of friendship, right? It just, it makes, makes it work. So. It makes the world of difference. And like I said, like I wouldn't be here like without her, man, this journey wouldn't have been possible. So like, you know, you can definitely do it with a strong, I'll just say in general, a strong support system, spouse, friends, significant others, parents is imperative for you to make it through this because like medicine is very, very taxing. It's emotionally taxing. You're going to have bad outcomes with patients, sad patients, you know, like everything. So it's very, very taxing. So it's important to have people who kind of support your journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Dr. Lowry gave five tips for success for new residents. Did you guys catch that? One is to over-communicate. Attendings want to know what you're thinking and when you're thinking it in order to facilitate your learning process. So don't feel as if you are talking too much. That is rarely ever the issue. Often residents are too quiet And that makes us as attendings a little nervous because we don't know what it is you're thinking. And so we don't really know how to assist if we don't know what's on your mind. So number one, over-communicate. Two, be detailed-oriented. Do not be cavalier. Three, don't try to do everything. You're not expected to handle everything on your own. So express all of what needs to be done so that as the team, we can address each one. 
Number four, he talks about how those first six months of residency are crucial. So invest that time to really exercise these tips and establish yourself as a resident that can be trustworthy. Five, he mentioned paying attention to that feeling you have when you go to work. Are you excited to start your day to see these patients, to to address these problems? Because if you're already starting to dread it so early, that's a red flag. And number six, I guess there are six tips, (laughs) is to have a strong, strong social structure to help get you through this because training is a tough process. I hope you enjoyed this episode of SIVO Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.